Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. Now, I'm so glad that you guys are, are joining us. Um, we are in our last week of a three-part series called In Focus. And so what we do every year is we take the first couple weeks and talk about our vision as a church and what makes us redeeming hope, what makes us our, our, our unique family, and then what is our goals? What are we focusing on here in 2021? And so and, and, and a, our world can very be very distracting. It can be very distorting of our view. And so what I want us to do is properly align ourselves together to bring Christ and the hope that he offers to the center of our vision and our focus for 2021. So we started a couple weeks ago by talking about how we are a family of faith. Last week, we talked about how we are a family following Jesus. And now today we're talking about how we are a family helping others find Jesus. Now, as many of you know, I enjoy cigars and pipes. And so it started with my dad as a teenager. I used to go on the back porch and smoke cigars with him. And then um, I've kind of enjoyed the nuance of it. I like collecting pipe tobaccos and unique cigars and unique pipes and lighters and memorabilia. And if you walk into my office, you're more than likely going to smell a little bit of, of fine aged tobacco, a little bit of distilled water that I put in my humidor. And I'm probably going to invite you at some point in time out on my front or back porch to smoke with me if you'd like to. And so when I do that, when I sit on my front porch, um, I always wave at every single car that, that drives by like a crazy person. All right. So they're literally like driving by and I don't know whether they're looking at me or not, but I'm just like waving. Everybody knows me in my neighborhood because I'm right at the cusp of our community. So when you drive in, you got to drive past my house. And um, on most days when I'm working or in the evenings when I'm relaxing, at some point in time, you're probably going to see me out front waving like a crazy person, anybody that's going to look over at me. And now I, I enjoy it. And, and really it's, it's part of the legacy that I have with my dad. We enjoyed this on the back porch together. And what I really like to do is I like to enjoy it with other people. And I like to introduce other people into my hobbies as well. And so that's something that I just really love to share because I enjoy it. I want other people to enjoy it too. Now, many of us have something that we love or maybe even that we hate that we want to share. It's kind of hardwired in us to share both really good experiences and really bad experiences, whether that's to be at a restaurant or maybe related to a movie or music or some sort of entertainment. And really, what being an evangelist is, the, the terminology in the Bible, what being an evangelist is, is a teller of good news. And so every single one of us is hardwired to be an evangelist about someone or something. If we're really excited about something, we're going to tell other people about it and get them involved. And so that this actually comes from a deep place in the human heart. And we hearken back to the very first pages of the Bible where God created and designed us to share in good things with him and then to share good things with others. He actually gave us the responsibility to care over creation, to tend the soil, to care for the earth and the, the creatures within it. 
So really what we see is that we were created to share in God's mission, his vision for the world. And we were to share in his mission as a family. God created Adam and Eve together to form a family, to procreate in order to have a family that would share in God's mission for the world. But unfortunately, sin entered into this world and it began to break uh, the relationship between us and God, between us and ourselves, between us and each other, and even between us and creation. And that mission has been distorted and that mission has been warped. We lost community and we lost our mission and purpose. And and Jesus, as he was still in his first day after being resurrected from the dead, he comes to visit his disciples. And what he does is actually gives them an invitation into mission, into a renewed purpose that echoes throughout human history into us in Clarksville, Tennessee, and wherever you're watching this from. And so I want to focus our time today on John 20, verses 19 to 21. This is what it says. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When they had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. My friends, the question that I want to introduce our time today is this. What if you didn't have to wonder what God's will is for your life? But what if he had already invited you into a clear calling for your life? What if you didn't have to wonder what God's will is, but he had, he's already invited you into a clear calling for his life? And this is what leads us to our main point for today, is that our church is a family of faith that helps others find Jesus by living all of our lives like missionaries. And so we hold that every member a missionary, every environment a mission field. So we're going to talk about three points. We're going to talk about a family that's helping others find the risen Jesus, a family helping others find the wounded Jesus, and a family helping others find the sending Jesus as we look through these few verses. So first, a family helping others find the risen Jesus. So we go back to John 20, verse 19. I'll I'll just read that again to refresh our memory. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now, remember, Jesus had just died just a few days prior to this. The disciples scattered, leaving Jesus completely alone to suffer the horrific actions of the cross with only his mother and one of his disciples still there. Now, we're coming up on the third day. And remember, Jesus has been promising his disciples over and over and over and over again, I'm going to die, and on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And so Mary Magdalene, she goes to the tomb of Jesus, and she sees that the tomb is, uh, the stone that was covering the tomb is rolled away, and she wept at this tomb. But then Mary sees Jesus. She believes that he is Jesus. She understands finally everything kind of fits together and she goes and runs back to the disciples and tells them everything that she saw and they thought she was crazy. Now it's evening and they're still hiding. The doors are locked. These disciples who are with Jesus for years are confused. They're wondering what happened to his body. Did someone steal his body? And they're, they're just afraid, really, they're, they're really truly afraid that what happened to Jesus 
was going to happen with them. That the Jewish leadership that had crucified Jesus was going to come for them too. And what's really fascinating is that everyone in the story is having different experiences. Some believe like Mary Magdalene. Some don't believe. Some are confused. Some are fearful. Some might even be hopeful. And then boom, Jesus appears in the room. Now, it's very important because it says the doors were locked, and they're locked from the inside. And those locked doors have a significant factor to play in the story. So remember, the reason that they had the locked doors was the fear of the Jews, but the purpose of the locked doors was to show the miraculous appearing of Jesus. Jesus is changed, is very clear. Um, He has new body. He has new miracles. He has a new power about him. And where does Jesus go when he has a new body, new miracles, and new power? He meets his scared, cowardly disciples in an upper room, locked and in fear. And the first thing that Jesus says when he shows up is he says, peace. Now that word means, that word is shalom in the Hebrew. And what we find is that that word peace is a complement to what the very last words he said on the cross were. It is finished. Look with me at just uh, like literally one page over in most of your Bibles, John 19 verse 30. When Jesus is on the cross, he said, it is finished and bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the work of redemption was completed. Jesus was filled up with all of the sufferings and all of the punishments that all of humanity has ever deserved. He took the punishment for us so that, guess what? You and I could experience shalom. And so when he said, it is finished, he put a a period on the end of the sentence of his life and his work for you and me. And then the very first words he speaks to his disciples when he shows up is peace. And peace is the complement to it is finished. Jesus now brings reconciliation. He now brings life. The work is over with it is finished. Now we can begin to reap the rewards of shalom, of peace with God, peace with ourselves, and peace with others. My friends, Jesus is changed and Jesus is alive. And so when we say that we want to help others follow Jesus, we want to help others follow a risen Jesus. So we exist as a church to help others find the risen Jesus alive and present and here for us when we need him. Now, um, we are a family that is helping others find the wounded Jesus. Look with me at the next verse, John 20, verse 20. When he said this, Jesus said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Something happens, something switches on when they see the wounds of Christ and it produces joy in them. Now, Jesus does show them something remarkable. And up until this point in the narrative, we did not know that this was going to happen. His wounds are still present in his resurrected body. This is very important. This means, now remember, Jesus has kept the same physical body that he has resurrected with for the past two millennia. So this means that he was ascended into heaven. He has a physical body in heaven. This teaches us something about God. This means that God will forever be marked by his work for us. Jesus' sacrifice is now over, but the marks of his wounds are eternal. He doesn't need to do this again. And what we find that Jesus' wounds are his victory. His sacrifice for us is enough 
and his sacrifice for us is eternal. So we see that Jesus' wounds are both his victory and his validation. Look with me at Hebrews 10, 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, those who are being made like Christ. My friends, this means that your sin does not re-crucify Jesus. Your sin does not hurt Jesus more if you sin more. What we see is that he has already experienced the ultimate sacrifice for us, and he has come out victorious on the other side. And I want to quote to you um, a poem from Edward um, Shin, let's see, Shilito, Shilito. It's called Jesus of the Scars. And this is the words of the poem. It says, The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. My friends, Jesus' wounds are his victory. But Jesus' wounds are also his validation. You see, his credentials to the suffering race of human beings, that we see that because Jesus still bears the marks of the cross, that he can identify with all of us, his wounds still being present. Your wounds, your pains, your hurts are not foreign to Jesus. He understands them intimately. And when the disciples see the wounds of Jesus, this inspires joy in them. They actually get, uh, uh, they, they, they see it. It all seems to kind of come together that maybe, just maybe, what Jesus said is true. Now, redeeming hope for you and me, this means that you and I, that we exist as a church, as a family of faith, to help others find a Savior who has been wounded for them, who knows intimately about their hurt and pain, who has anticipated it all and resolved it all at the empty tomb and the cross. So this is where we see that we, have, we are a family helping others find the wounded Jesus. Not only that, but we are a family helping others find the sending Jesus. Look with me at John 20, 21, where we'll spend the bulk of the rest of our time. Jesus said to them, again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. Now, Jesus is repeating the peace again. And then Jesus then recommissions his disciples. He says that he was sent by his father and now he is sending us. Now, this is so interesting because it says, as the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So what we see is that the character and the nature of our sentness, of our mission, is actually intimately connected with how Jesus was sent. So parallel to Jesus' sentness, unified with Jesus' sentness, so we are sent. Now, my friends, this is a big deal. One day, post-resurrection, Jesus says we have a mission, that we are being sent out. And in the nature of Jesus' sentness, we are sent. So in order for us to understand how we are sent out, our mission, we must first understand how Jesus was sent out and Jesus' mission. So in order to help us understand how Jesus was sent, we actually have to go back earlier in the book of John to the beginning of the book where we actually see how Jesus was sent. Look with me at John 1.14. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word is Jesus, and we see that Jesus is, became flesh. 
So um, we have a couple of things that teach us about the nature, the character of Jesus's sentness, and then we are being sent out of that sentness. So the first thing that we see, that Jesus's sentness is personal. It says the word became flesh. My friends, Jesus is a real person. He humbled himself. He became obedient. Look with me at Philippians 2 verse 7. But Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. My friends, Jesus was personally sent by his father and he personally was obedient, and then he personally came into the world as a human. He laid aside his rights and his privileges to enter fully into our human experience. So when Jesus came to save us, when Jesus came to rescue us, this rescue, this sentness was personal. Not only that, but we find that Jesus's, the nature of Jesus' sentness was incarnational. Look, this, he says he dwelt with us. Now, the summary of this idea of Jesus, Jesus in, is in this word incarnate. To incarnate means to come into in the same nature or form. So Jesus became flesh. He dwelt. He conversed. He lived. He incarnated. He came into our experiences. He embodied all the fullness of God to the world, yet was fully human. Look with me at Colossians 1.19. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So the summary of this, this father, this, this, this dwelling with us is that Jesus incarnated into the world. He became like you and me. He lived with us. He lived among us. He suffered with us and for us. He fully embodied God in human form, 100% God 100% man. And my friends, this has powerful in implications for how we are sent. Jesus didn't come and speak a foreign language. Jesus spoke our language, or the, lang the common language of the time. Jesus didn't come as some extra human character. He came as a normal human. He didn't come bearing some sort of special uh, crown about him, some special aura about him. He was just like you and me, yet also being fully God. Jesus came into the world to dwell with us. Next, we see that the nature of Jesus' sentness was father-centric. He says he came from the Father. Jesus lived his entire ministry, not in light of his own will, but in light of his Father's will. Look with me at just one of many examples in John 5, 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son, this is Jesus speaking, the Son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees his father doing. For whatever the father does, so the son does likewise. So Jesus is fully obedient to the father. He's fully in line with his father's will. His life was following the direction of his father. He was father-centric. The next thing we see about Jesus' sentness is he is filled with grace and filled with truth. Full of grace. Jesus extended grace to those who needed it to those who saw that they needed it. And that they, the people that weren't religious, that didn't look or sound like him, and wherever Jesus went, that they were outcasts and they were sinners that absolutely loved 
Jesus. It was the religious people that thought they had it together that hated him because Jesus came for the sinners. He came for the losers. He came for those who were weak and destitute and poor. He came for those who were sick. He came to those who were the outcasts. And my friends, the outcasts are you and me because we need this unmerited favor. But not only that, he says it was filled with grace and filled with truth. Jesus communicates the truth of his father's love to the people that he ministered to. And what we see is the truth of Jesus brings life. Look with me at John 14, 6. It says, I am, this is speaking, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So in summary, we see that the sentness of Jesus was personal. It was incarnational. It was father-focused, father-centric. It was grace-filled, and it was truth-filled. So in light of Jesus' sentence, he says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. So then we have a sentness like Jesus. So our sentness is first personal. My friends, people are not projects. It is not about what others do. It's not about getting others to change their actions. It's about getting others to see who they are and how who they are could be united with Christ and they can come into their true and fullest identity. And so we want to genuinely befriend people, not befriend people with any sort of intention to convert them, but befriend people because we want to share our lives with them and in so doing, invite them to join us as we follow Jesus. So first off, as we live on mission, as we live as missionaries in Clarksville, and beyond. It must first off be personal. Next, it must be incarnational. The nature of our sentness, what God is calling us into is to be incarnate into the world around us. What this means is to leave the comfortable and the familiar and to move out. To move out into your neighborhood, into your community, with your friends, with your neighbors. To incarnate the love of God to others. That means to actually physically embody the love that God has for your neighbors. To do that with your neighbors, to love them like Christ does. That means that when they hurt you, when they talk bad about you, when they offend you, when they don't mow their grass or maybe they mow their grass too much and makes yours look bad, like from the small things to the big things, you are to love your neighbors as Christ has loved you and to show them grace. And so we must first then have to think then, if we are to communicate well, if we were to incarnate the love of God to others, we must first ask some questions like, what is the language of the people around you? How do people talk? What is some of the slang, the vernacular? What are the unique hurts, pains, and troubles that the grace of Jesus and the truth of the gospel can bring healing into? Understanding truly how your neighbors, your coworkers, and your friends, how they think, what they struggle with. What are the unique burdens that our friends in Clarksville has, and how does Jesus bring freedom to those burdens? What are, things, what, are, what are things that people are weighed down by? We need to think through these things and then pray through them. We need to then see how we can bring the freedom of Christ to those specific areas that our neighbors are struggling with. How does God speak to the soldier? How does he speak to the military wife going through a difficult time? How does Jesus speak to your neighbors and your friends? My friend, we are actually required by the sentness of Jesus to incarnate the gospel, to actually dwell with people. And this often means laying down our rights, to lay down our preferences. Even from expressing our own political views, we can lay those things down to love and serve others with the grace and the truth of the gospel. To incarnate, to become God's love to the neighbors and friends around us. Next, 
that we are called to, the nature of Jesus is sent in this nature of ours, right? Next thing we must be is Jesus-centric. Our mission, our sentness is not about us. It's actually about Jesus. This means that our standards for others, that our personal opinions, they don't matter as all, no, no matter at all compared to what matters to Jesus. You see, Christ's disciples do not take over Jesus's mission. His mission continues and it is effective in their ministry. So what really matters is we don't, it's not about our standards for what other people have to do. It's about what God's standards are. And actually God's standards are perfection and no one can meet that, but Jesus already has. And so to become Jesus-centric, Jesus-focused is to love people, not so that we can get something back from them and to serve others, not so that we can somehow put a notch in our belt if they choose to follow Jesus or they join a group or they start coming to a local church. Like It's not about those things. It's actually about bringing Jesus glory because Jesus has changed you and me. And out of the love that Jesus has for us, the we can then love others around us. It is Jesus-centric. Finally, we see that it is both our nature of our sentence is grace-filled and truth-filled. My friends, the definition of grace is to show unmerited, unearned favor towards others. This, is, this means that we, we can't show hostility. That's not what grace means. That we, we don't get into silly Facebook fights or arguments. We don't get into divisiveness. We don't get into oversharing our personal opinions because we have the right to, but we actually show unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor to those around us in order to be winsome to them and model the love of Jesus to them. So we remove anything that might hinder our ability to show the love of God to others around us. And finally, it's also truth-filled. This means that we need to clearly explain and share the good news of Jesus, which brings freedom and life. This means that it's not just about living a life modeling love. It actually gets to a certain point where you then share your story with others. Um, the Bible says, how will they believe unless they hear, and how will they hear unless they're sent? This is in the book of Romans. It talks about this. And so um, we need to verbally proclaim the truth of God to those people in our life with boldness, with confidence, rejecting the shame rejecting fear and embracing the fact that when we get to a certain point, when we have people around us that are curious, we need to be ready to respond. The Bible even tells us to be ready to respond with hope because of the hope that's within us, to explain the hope that is within us. So my friends, the question bears to be asked, how do we live as sent ones? You see, Jesus loved us and so we loved others. John 15 says these words, this is my commandment, that you love one another, how? as I have loved you. How we live on mission is rooted in how Jesus has been on mission for us. How we love others is rooted in the fact that Jesus loves us. And so we first must receive his love for us. And as that love fills us, we can be overflowed with that love and then share that love with others in our proximity. So the question I have for you is, who are your neighbors? Who are your coworkers? Who are your friends? Who are your family that don't have an active, vibrant relationship with Jesus? Can you invite them over to a meal at your house and share and hear their story? Can you build trust and grow in friendship and, and share your story and share how Jesus has changed you? And then maybe if that relationship begins to blossom, can you schedule a time to share specifically about the story of God and invite them to follow Jesus 
with you. And actually, there's a very, very simple, clear tool that we have on our website. You can go to redeeminghope.org three slash three circles. And this has a little three-minute video on how to concisely share the truth of God and the story of God to someone that's never heard it before. And then actually below that, there's a little place on our website where you can download a form. And it just asks you some revealing questions. It just says, like, who are your neighbors? Who are your coworkers? Who are the people in your life? Who are the people in your proximity? And then you can begin to explain explore and see who are the people that, that in your proximity that you can help take a next step towards Jesus. My friends, Redeeming Hope, we exist as a church to be missionaries that help others find a Savior who has sent us in his love, has sent us out in his love, who has sent us out in his power, and as a continuation of his mission and incarnation into the world. And my friends, we do not do this alone. See, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead And that very morning, that very Easter morning, and then that evening he appears to his disciples and says those words that we've been considering in John 20. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside the hearts of true Christians. And he gives us life and he gives us power to accomplish this mission. My friends, the truth of the gospel is that the God that created the heavens was willingly confined to the earth. That the God who created man was brutally murdered by the very man that he created. He eternally bears the mark of the punishment for our sin. That God, who spoke the universe into existence by the word of his power, he speaks peace to his disciples, you and me. And the God that left the heavens to fight for you, to sacrifice himself for you, now calls you to join him and his mission for the world. So if you're watching this, and you look over the back, uh, the course of your life, and you do not yet identify as a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to join this mission with us. You can live, you can have purpose and meaning beyond yourself. And it can actually be rooted in how you were originally created to partner with God in in caring for his mission and caring for his world. You can actually do that. All you need to do is to hear, believe that Jesus died and rose again and obey Jesus by making him Lord over your life. And when you do that, you will join him on his mission to bring the world back to himself. And if you're watching this and you do identify as a follower of Jesus, it can be very easy to become complacent. It can be very easy to forget how much we have been blessed by this salvation. And so I want to encourage you to be renewed today, that we were created to share good things with others, far better than cigars or pipes or good coffee or good books or movies. We were created to be a family on mission together, to experience God's goodness, to share in his goodness. We receive mercy so that we can be an example to others around us. And the sacrifice of a little bit of time, the sacrifice of a little bit of rest so that you can care for others in your life, so that you can invite them into a relationship with you, so you can share the gospel with them, even at the risk of maybe appearing awkward or weird. It is so paltry compared to the work that Christ has done for us. It has significance. You can have joy and meaning as you join Jesus in his mission. And that leads us again to our point for today, is that our church, Redeeming Hope, is a family of faith that helps others find Jesus by living all of our life like missionaries. Every member a missionary, every environment a mission field. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.